esfuerzo y al heroísmo de una revolución no los queremos, no los necesitamos. This is your man L Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Uh, I took a few extra days off just to kind of take a little mental break, get my mind right. I also wanted to uh, do some more studying and uh, get back to the drawing board on some new strategies on how I want to present some of this information, uh, learning. Uh, taking some time to do some more learning and everything as well. But uh, today we got a pretty uh, informative show to say the least. We're going to get into a very deep topic, at least on the word on the street. We're also going to be covering the NBA Finals. Of course, congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks for winning their first championship since the 70s. Uh, we will be briefly touching up on Richard Sherman in the word on the street segment as well. Uh, we are a little bit past the halfway point of the MLB season, so I wanted to go over some things there. We recently had a draft. We had the All-Star game all within about a week. So I wanted to kind of briefly touch up at least on the draft, just go over briefly the All-Star game, but going to some other things such as some teams to look at some players to look at and uh just uh just a couple general headlines as well going into the latter part of the baseball season um also uh just wanted to kind of um air out kind of what the future um or at least the future projects are on the podcast and on the channel so um let's go ahead and just get into it of course with the word on the street and i want to start today off with the the issues that are going on in cuba right now uh and this was what kind of actually prompted me to kind of take this break because uh at least for an extra week or so i think it's been like at least almost a week a few more days than usual uh between uh uploads but i wanted to take a chance to kind of really not just figure out what's going on as of today, uh, but because Cuba has had such a history, at least within the past uh, 50 plus years, you know, of, you know, what's been going on there with communism and Fidel Castro. I wanted to touch up on that. And also I had been learning a lot about uh, intellectual or logical fallacies and trying to avoid those in my arguments as well. So, um, you know, when I say this, this, you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. I mean it, you know, um, don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes we might uh, interpret these facts and we might put these might have a reaction to it. Uh, but it's clear that uh, regardless of where we stand with this, um, that we come at least with the facts and we we um, hey, whatever we feel or whatever reaction we get from the actual facts, that's whatever. But we have to know exactly what's going on first. Okay, that's my disclaimer uh, going into not just this story, but uh, my plan uh, for the next city, especially these uh, broader, uh, more geopolitical or, po po you know, political or global topics. You know, um, this is, you know, I, uh, you know, learned about the fallacy, fallacy, the antidotal fa fallacies and uh, just how to avoid those, what they are. 
uh, and in the fallacy um, pretty much uh, in layman's terms is just something that's you know like people will go along with as general knowledge even though it can be debunked and I'm just using layman's terms this probably isn't the exact best way to do it but pretty much is is what I what I you know for me a fallacy uh, particularly for me is something um, that uh, you put hella you know you put extra emphasis on maybe not necessarily facts but more so emotions or like I said an anecdotal fallacy would be an example personal to just you to to, to claim a point okay so uh, pretty much I want to avoid those I don't I don't want to I want to make sure all the facts are presented clearly and then I'll say what my stand is going to be that's pretty much you know uh my heads up to you guys uh, again just want to make this the one of the make this as different of a platform as possible this is not supposed to be run of the mill this is not supposed to be kevin samuels uh this is not larry elder this is not anybody on the left this is not anybody on the right this is el jamal and i'm not even actually coming at you from the middle i'm coming at you from a completely different angle to begin with uh straight at you so uh let's let's get on into it like i said without further ado hello uh good morning good friday and uh like i said uh riots have been flaring up in cuba for the past few weeks now as the nation deals with massive food and medical supply shortages this is one of the largest in about 30 years now 136 people probably more at this point uh particularly activists and journalists have been arrested uh, so far and for decades uh, Cuba's government has really you know kind of singled out these people for speaking out and trying to you know in, you know increase the attention on what's going on there or at least increase the activity amongst the people to question what's going on in the government so again most of the people that are locked up right now all the journalists are the activists but there are many people you know that are you know being locked up for this as well now let's talk a little bit more about cuba now again we're going to get more into some more history in just a second uh but what has been going on in cuba well its economy has shrunk 11 percent since last year this is the biggest hit the economy has taken since 1990 when the soviet union fell and um what's ironic about the, the fall of the soviet union was because well that was one of the biggest backers of cuba and so so went the soviet union that would go Cuba. Um, we've also had rising global food prices. Uh, that's that's you know put the Cubans at a disadvantage, and also their devalued currency. Now let's talk about the current state of U.S.-Cuba relations. Now this is according to the U.S. State Department. This is a quote directly from the website. The U.S. seeks a stable, prosperous, and free Cuban country for the Cuban people. The U.S. pursues limited engagement with Cuba that advances our national interests and empowers the Cuban people with, while restricting economic practices that disproportionately benefit the Cuban government or its military, intelligence, or security agencies at the expense of the Cuban people. Now, on the surface, that might seem, you know, like a diplomatic. Uh, plea or however uh but on the surface uh again this is again this is the fact but again this is kind of my reaction to that i personally feel like it's double talk now again it seems to me that the u.s does want cuba to be somewhat well to be free uh quote unquote uh and prosperous stable so on and so forth but when it starts to say that they don't want um 
you know, any economic practices to benefit the government or its military, of course, or like I said, its security at the expense of the people. Now, what that means is, if I'm wrong, hey, I'm wrong. We can break this down later. This is why we, you know, keep learning and keep, you know, breaking things down. But, you know, at the expense of the people, you know, at, what, that, what I hear is you don't necessarily want Cuba to fund itself and to create its own power. I, I feel like you want Cuba to be free. They want Cuba to be free, but they more so want it to be free as a satellite of the U.S., more so like America Samoa, more like Puerto Rico, um, more like the U.S. Virgin Islands. That's what I see here. If Cuba wants to be a satellite nation, then they have all right to do whatever they want to do. But since they want to be independent and they have the nerve to be, again, communist, which we'll get more to in a second, the U.S. is saying... Well, look, we don't support anything that helps develop that cause, develops your government, to develop your self-sustainability. Again, if they want to be a satellite state like Puerto Rico, that's what I feel uh, the U.S. is all for. Now, uh, with, you know, this downturn in the economy, you'd think there'd be a large unemployment rate. I think that there is. Puerto Rico only uh, only uh, gives us a 3.8 unemployment rate. I think is much higher than that if you think about you know some of the losses that they've had in their economy but again they don't necessarily in these type of countries these communist uh more driven countries they don't really produce those facts it's almost as though nobody is jobless and nobody is in poverty that's what they would like to for you to believe um, let's move on into some more history. Now, part of what's going on uh, that has affected Cuba's economy as well as all the more recent things is the Embargo Act, of course. Uh, it was passed in 1960 60 under, I, wanna, I don't want to say Kennedy. I think it was the guy, uh, it was that Eisenhower, the president right before him. I believe that was Eisenhower. Uh, this prevented U.S. citizens uh, from traveling to the country and prevented businesses and their foreign subsidiaries from doing any work there. Despite the embargo, uh, the U.S. claims to provide 200 million in agricultural products. Also, they also export 275 million of medical supplies and humanitarian goods. However, with that being said, the true uh, export partners for Cuba include Venezuela, Spain, and Russia, as well as China, um, and Russia being some of their biggest uh, import partners. So, in terms of giving out certain supplies and giving out food because I feel like they, you know, they feel guilty about uh, the, and also uh, because of this embargo, the Cuban government has also lost $1 trillion. And maybe because they feel some type of way, they feel a little bit down, I guess it's maybe white guilt, European guilt. Uh, they are uh, donating, um, you know, these agricultural, these food products, again, these medical supplies. But when it comes to actual business, when it comes to actual, I'll trade you this, these goods for that goods, I'll help you succeed in that realm. Uh, the U.S. has no part in that. Again, you've heard you 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 did hear me mention the two, you know, the the big two baddies that we don't like: China and Russia. And there you go. Um, they also are uh, partners with Venezuela as well, another country that you know just does not get along politically with the U.S. Now, with that being said, um, there has been some U.S. influence. There has been some U.S. 
interference. Um, however, this is a twofold story. Uh, for the majority, well, for the majority of the 20th century, or at least since the 1950s, uh, Cuba has been a communist nation. Now that has led to this country, some countries, some of this country's ups and downs as well. So let's talk about that and more of this American influence here. The income inequality uh, was rampant in Cuba even before Fidel's communist movement. Although Cuba was still one of the richest Latin American countries in the world pre-communism, um, because of its sugar trade with the U.S., it had the it had the fifth largest GDP of Latin American nations at one time, and uh, Havana in particular would become one of the biggest vacation spots for the elite. Despite all this, like I said, there's a history of class and income inequality and race inequality as well. Let's just be honest here. Many of Cuba's leaders, Cuba's leaders, excuse me, were limit, were linked, excuse me, were linked to all types of corruption, including manipulation of the national sugar market. However, Fulgencio Bautista, backed by his U.S.-supported coup in 1952, would take it to the max. Uh, with organized crime, aka mafia affiliations, uh, he embezzled from illegal gambling, also the lottery revenues, the police corruption was rampant as well. They were beating people in the streets, uh, you know, flat out robbing people. We're talking about the police here. Now, again, you notice I said U.S. backed coup. Yes. Um, and before we get into, oh, man, you know, well, um, the U.S., you know, they it's a very well, let me just say it like it is. The U.S. not only uh, backed Fulgencio's coup in 1952, they would also send CIA operate, operatives to operate on behalf of Fidel Castro in his movement as well. And the biggest thing I was trying to figure out in my head was, why would you fight on both sides? But I think it's clear that the U.S. would just want, would rather have a destabilized Cuba than a communist or really a or really just a, a outright you know satellite they rather destabilize it and take control in their own way they 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 try to use the mafia to do that they try to use Bautista to do that it did not work Fidel Castro and his communist party were Bautista's ultimate opponent Originally first starting with attacks on military barracks with small rebel groups, uh, Castro's conflict would culminate with the takeover of the city of Santa Clara in 1958, forcing Batista to flee to the Dominican Republic. Castro receives all private businesses for the government, and uh, U.S. oil companies uh, would refuse would refused to sell Soviet oil. Would refuse, yes, would refuse to sell Soviet oil within uh, Cuban borders as you know of course as a US subsidiary working in Cuba they did not want to sell Soviet oil and um, Castro would take all those companies over what happened is he took away all the people with the business expertise because again he didn't really own those businesses those were the US subsidiaries so when they were under state control they failed to really produce any type of profit that's what happens Cuba's government would see uh, will, will some will see some more assets, but will lose their will lose out on their investments. Like I said, when these uh, these heads of these companies, the experts on you know knowing how to do this stuff, they would begin to leave. After the revolution, Fidel uh, will become closely linked with the USSR. 
uh, in terms of military supplies, weapons, and of course, cash. Um, now, with that being said, now in the beginning, um, I will say, well, in some in some cases, uh, you know, Castro, he's a really enigmatic character. Um, he's done some good things, and he's also done some very, very atrocious things. Now, I do believe he believed in some social equality. Uh, he sent troops to fight on behalf of the African nation of Angola. Uh, there seemed to be no racism or colorism at times in his appointments of certain um, heads or, you know, leaders, other leaders. Uh, however, uh, and he did at one time increase freedoms for the press. However, political assassinations and arbitrary incarcerations just would be rampant in his time as well. And so as to and same thing with torturings, kidnappings, um, killings of people, again, just killings of those, not just necessarily of those in the political spirit, but just groups of people who were against him as well. 10% of the population would flee from 1959 to 19, 1993, uh, hence that big Cuban Miami phase that we would have in the 80s in inspiring movies such as Scarface. Um, again, just to kind of bring it back to a kind of just a pop culture reference, if you guys um, remember in The Godfather 2 or if you guys ever played that game, you know how that game starts off. You guys are in Cuba fighting off the Cubans. You travel back to Cuba and you have to assassinate Fidel Castro. So it's crazy. Um, again, you had U.S. operatives working on both sides and for what it's worth, you know, you had Fidel kind of burning the candle on both ends and it didn't work as well. They, uh, despite reaching a economic peak between the 70s and the 80s, you know, things will go down south quickly, beginning with the collapse of uh, and the sever the collapse of the USR. But before that, they would actually sever ties. Uh, Cuba would su uh, would suffer a 35 percent economic decline from 1989 to 1993, losing 80 percent of their trading partners. Global sugar prices also went down as well. And that was, of course, one of Cuba's chief imports. And that market didn't get right till almost the mid 90s. And um, up to two years ago, the rages were ranged from 17 to $30 a month, you know, for a regular job. So it's just now starting to come around the corner. Uh, they just now started to allow, allow people to work uh, in private industries or, you know, do taxi work uh, for themselves. Uh, it's not a government run business. You can be uh, an, an independent plumber, independent contractor. Those type of things are allowed again. Um, so with that being said, um, you have your U.S. influence. You have a history of U.S. involvement, whether it be with an actual coup in the 50s or using CIA operatives to operate on both sides to destabilize Cuba's economy, to stabilize Cuba's, you know, infrastructure. And in a lot of ways, they uh, succeeded. But with that also being said, uh, they were aided in a lot of ways by uh, in corrupt generals, corrupt leaders. Again, um, like I said, uh, Castro wanted to control every aspect of business 
you want to make it state controlled and this is the this is the this is the argument between communism and of course the free market capitalism um, and and again all this sounds all these governments and again they all sound good on paper but in practicality when you see them in work again you in reality it's it's always a little bit different than what they said it would be you know um even even in the terms of the free market enterprise um you know we know about the unemployment rates all over the country so we have our issues as well so i don't want to sound like trump in this case but uh it, it is two sides to blame uh unfortunately in this situation the u.s who was looking to destabilize cuba the entire time and is probably still looking to do so and uh you had a you could outright say it a corrupt government uh that just lacked the lack certain fortitudes in terms of business acumen um and in just in terms of keeping the infrastructure together and so therefore you know he uh, you know therefore financially uh the country would fall off because again uh it was a big it was a big partner with the soviet union uh it was getting some their biggest uh, well their their economic growth was pretty much stimulated by what they would get from the ussr and when you're not being able, when you're not able to really fend for yourself, when things happen, such as a collapse, you're asked out, and, and it took, and Cuba still hasn't gotten it right, um, and that's just the unfortunate situation we are in with that, with them. And I wish them all the best. I pray for them. Um, I hope they find some type of, some type of way to truly be free, um, and maybe, you know, again, um, I. Again, all these gov all these forms of government sound great on paper. It's just in practice that they always seem to fail. Maybe they might want to blend some elements of communism or socialism with some free market values. Is it possible to do so? Yes. America does it all the time on a low. They just don't tell you that. They just have you arguing over free market and, and socialism and what's wrong between those two while they pretty much use a blend of both. That's just the way it is, but um, we're gonna take a we're gonna uh, seize that for now. That is that is the drama in Cuba. Like I said, hopefully they get things together. Any updates in terms of what they decide to do with a leader or any improvements there, we will be talking about that. But you know, for now, Cuba has a lot of issues, unfortunately. All right, y'all. Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about your boy Richard Sermon. I wanted to take some time to kind of. Um, hear all you know hear all the facts you know figure out what happened and um you know we all know well for those of you who don't know of course uh last week um he had a dui uh i think he suffered some minor injuries and i think he was uh i don't want to say he was necessarily on the run from the cops but i'm pretty sure they were interested in trying to see what's up with dude and uh he ends up going i believe this is his wife still uh they still married Goes to his wife's, uh, his in-laws house And he's banging on the door Talking about come through Come through for me Let me in And um, Apparently, you know, he's getting charged Where well, he was charged with some domestic burglary Not domestic abuse He didn't hit nobody He didn't really harm anybody But he got into a situation And uh, he had a breakdown And he, I guess he called himself reaching out for them And 
man, um, that is the wrong way to do it. But I'm telling you, I, what I'm going to say is this. I'm not going to judge him as a person. I'm not going to judge his situation. But I am going to say this. Alcohol ain't for everybody. It's not for everybody. I, I, I mean, if you got to bang on doors, if you can't control your driving, you, you're hitting people. You're banging on doors three in the, three in the morning. Let me in, come through. It's not for you. That's all I'm gonna say. No judgment on Richard Sherman, but it, the drink is not for you. Maybe you need a blunt, okay? Maybe you need some. Maybe you need a pipe and some trees and get you a little grinder and wake up in the morning, smoke a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Go about your business. Maybe your wine. Maybe your beer. But whatever had you going out like that. That ain't working. Richard Sherman gotta be glad he's a he's a football player, <laughs> because if he was any other black guy, intoxicated, you already had a hit and run, and you banging on this people's house, in not a black neighborhood, and it's not a black family, they could have shot your ass. You know they would have felt they would have felt justified to do so. So I'm just gonna keep it lit with y'all. Drinking ain't for no <laughs> for everybody. Um. No judgment really passed on him. I understand, you know, people go through things. Um, people use alcohol as an escape sometimes. And uh, that's a very dangerous thing to do because you really can't escape yourself. Um, he's going to have to, whatever situation drove him down to get drunk like that, he's going to have to uh, address what that was. Because if he doesn't, he's liable to do that type of shit again. So, you know, again, he got the money. Maybe he can reach out and, and be one of those ther guys that go to therapy or reach out to his family or something, you know? Um, I don't necessarily believe in therapy necessarily. I think family can be therapy. I don't understand the point of people going to people they don't know and spending hella money and talking to them about shit that they could talk to their dad or their mom about for free. I don't get that. Um, but, Richard, I ain't got no judgment against you, brother. You might not want to drink all the time. Maybe get you some wine or something, some rare low. And some and some trees or something, cause that ain't I, I that ain't man. If he was any other black guy, it might have been a rap for you. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> if he was anywhere, maybe if he was down south, they might as well have tried it. I don't. I'm just saying, God, as a black person, you gotta be careful how you take these reactions. You can't be flying off the handles. You can't be. This is the way that it is. This is. I'm not. I'm not trying to be that, but. Y'all be six foot two plus and be black and start yelling and cussing and being all type of violent to people. See what happens. You know, somebody gonna call the police on you instant. What is this? Man. Um, that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> all right, y'all. I'm gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be getting into some sports. Like I said, I'm gonna be breaking down the NBA Finals. We have a couple things to talk about from the NBA as well. And I wanna break down some baseball with you. We are uh, in the second half pretty much of the season. And I wanna break down some things there. So um, I'll be right back, y'all. Yo, you ain't got enough calcium to have a bone to pick with me. Like a crazy, I took a nigga out with his own key on me. Fuck, they over Italian. I chop your head off and wear your skull like style for a medallion. Techniques, I leave heat, heat. A nigga got to have it in these streets. Bubbled IGS on eighteen with beat. Screaming, I'll make you famous. Write my rhymes and alien and battle niggas in sign language. Cowards make a little cheese and enlarge. All 
Alright y'all, we back. Uh, let's talk about the NBA Finals real quick. Let's break down some NBA news for a little while. Uh, so the Bucks they get it done in Game 6. Congratulations to them. 123-119 was the final score against the Phoenix Suns in that game. Giannis, uh, just another another remarkable game. 32 points, 6 assists, 9 rebounds. Uh, just stayed consistent throughout the entire series. Devin Booker would score more than him, but... Again, he got the W's, which counted. Chris Middleton would have 29 points, 5 assists, and 7 rebounds. And Drew Holiday would get 14 points and 6 assists. Uh, he made some great plays throughout the series. I think uh, one of them was in game, was the biggest one, I believe. Uh, I believe it was game 5. He had to strip, and it led to him uh, with the alley-oop. It led to him performing that alley-oop on the other end. I believe that was with Giannis as well. And, uh, you know, this whole series, well, let's talk about the Suns real quick. Uh, in in the game six, Booker will score forty again. You know the highest score, uh, but he would have a really poor second half, particularly in the fourth quarter. Um, just couldn't rise to the occasion. And I know a lot of people are going to tell me he's trash or anything like something like that. But we can be honest with you. You tripping? Um, you being a little bit too heavy-handed on the man. Uh, forty points two out of finals, and he's not LeBron. Give him, cut him some slack. He's solid. Uh, he's just never been this deep. And the pressure got to bruh. And it, I mean, again, he's a shooter. He's a pure, you know, he's he's the new age. I mean, this is what they do. The thing about being a shooter is, you know, like anything else, you go hot and cold. Nobody is Steph and nobody is Clay. Those are the only two automatic motherfuckers I've seen that can just just throw up shots and just. Make them. It don't matter what quarter. Don't matter what the pressure is. Don't matter what the circumstances are. They go out there and they make buckets. Dame can't even do that as much as they can. He can do it to an extent, but even he'll have a, a moment like in Game Six with the th with the sorry with the Nuggets where he's not there. Um. So is he trash? Nah. He'll be back. Uh, better than ever. And y'all don't want to see him in the playoffs. He's scoring forty points a game. That's ridiculous. Um, he's going to be more confident. He's going to be knowing that, uh, you know, he got maybe one year left to Chris Ball, who had 21 points, 11 assists. Uh, he had DeAndre Ayton there putting up a double-double as well. So this team is going to be back. I think this team um, has what it takes. Um, I think they can beat the Lakers again. I think they could beat a lot of teams in the West right now. Um, and as far as the Bucks, I mean, <laughs> Giannis is one of the – is, is one of the best right now. Um, let's take it. Let's, let's talk about some takeaways from the game. Uh, the Suns outscored uh, Milwaukee. Sorry, yes, the Suns would outscore Milwaukee forty-three to twenty-four. I'm sorry, Milwaukee would score uh, the Suns forty. Outscored the Suns forty-three to twenty-four in the second half. Um, it kind of went back and forth a little bit. Like there'd be times where it looked like the Suns could dominate, then you know the Bucks would take it back. Um, but in the second half, you know, with Booker kind of just falling off a little bit, uh, when it came down to it, the Bucks just made the shots that counted. Uh, is Giannis a legend in the making? I think so. Uh, he's the first player in NBA history to score 50-plus points, uh, 10 or more rebounds, and 5 blocks in a finals game. Over the series, uh, he would average 35 points per game. 
13 re over 13 rebounds. He would also have five assists and almost two blocks throughout the six game series. So uh, he could do it all over the you know the the, the floor. Uh, he could play defense. Again, he gets blocks. He gets steals. He can get rebounds. Uh, again, I, I, the only thing he doesn't have is a three point shot. I mean, but uh, he does. He's pretty much Ben Simmons, but just a lot more reliable for some reason because he can actually do a lot more. I don't know, like, mm -hmm. like they both can't shoot, but something about Giannis it just works with him. <laughs> I don't know. It's just really weird like that. Uh, but overall, it was a good series. I don't see where anybody could have really any real complaint. Um, first of all, this is two teams that nobody thought would really make it. I'm pretty sure it would be everybody. The majority of people pretty much figured it would have been Lakers and Brooklyn. Um, I think that's your surface level pick. Um, in the back of my mind, kind of, I could kind of see the Suns making it, particularly when immediately when the playoffs started. Maybe even starting with that playing game with the Lakers, just seeing how, seeing how they struggle with the Lakers. And just the first, the first couple of games with the Suns, I was like, hmm, okay. Um, you know, so I wasn't too surprised about the Suns. The Bucks, I was. And especially in this series, I kept giving the Suns the benefit of the doubt. I trusted DeAndre Ayton more than I trusted Drew Holiday. I trusted, you know, oh, Jay Crowder more than I trusted, you know, Middleton. And I don't know why I did, but counted those guys out but I, I thought that um, the Suns supporting cast would show up in these games but it really wasn't it was con continuously Milwaukee's whether it was Bobby Porter's having a decent game you would have uh, Pat Connaughton with different ga with well decent games excuse me um, just even Brooke Lopez uh, was having some decent games throughout the playoffs in general so um, the Bucks truly had it and uh, I was wrong and I'm and I don't I don't care. I mean, I I can admit it. Sometimes you're wrong. Um, good job to to the Bucks. They earned it. Um, do I think they can? Do I think they can repeat next year? Them personally, get back. It's gonna be a little bit harder because I think you're gonna have a, a healthy Brooklyn squad. Um. Yeah, you'll have to go through Brooklyn. I don't. I I think something could happen with Boston. I don't know exactly what happens with Boston. They're gonna have a different coach. We know that for a fact. Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, we don't know what could happen with them. Um, I don't know who else they have around them, you know, that makes them solid. Um, I don't think they're necessarily number one options for a championship team either. You do have um, Toronto, who's taking the, who's taking a step back. Same thing with the Heat. They could have just been for the Heat. They could have just been tired because they had a deep playoff run literally the year before, and they really didn't have that much rest. So you know, given that, you know, the Heat could be a problem again. So, you know, the East is a little bit more tricky. Uh, but out West, I definitely could see the Suns uh, getting back at this. Um, another takeaway from the from the league right now, of course, everybody's still talking about Dame. Um, as a Portland fan, I'm be honest with you right now. As far as I know, he hasn't said he wanted to go necessarily. He hasn't come out of his mouth. Um, again, at least for this season. Uh, for the future, I've, I've said this before. He's not too sure about what he wants to do in his future. So after the season, I would say if we get bounced in the first round or maybe even the second, he'd probably say, yeah, it's time for me to go. Uh, again, if he can make it to a conference championship, maybe even the NBA Finals, you know, maybe maybe he gives it another couple of years. I don't know. Um, but as far as I know, he hasn't said anything about wanting to dip. 
Uh, he seems to at least want to give it one more year. However, if he wants to go, he wants to go. In my opinion, he, he kind of played in that game six, at least in that fourth quarter, like he kind of didn't want to be there. So I don't really, you know, I can't say that I blame the man. It's so frustrating to win in Portland, I can imagine, and I'm seeing it from my own eyes as a fan. Uh, so, I mean, again, it would it would be like, damn, that sucks. But I do want somebody who really does want to compete there and feels comfortable with the guys. And he kind of felt like he didn't want to play with these guys anymore. And I get it. Um, they're not helping you offensively. You're just the only guy out here. Uh, but it wasn't like, I mean, he was missing shots too. Again, he's not like, I mean, again, it's like nobody is as accurate as Steph and Clay. You know, so, um, may, I mean, I, I think because of that, I think a lot of these teams may have to take more of a, a Bucks approach. Maybe you have somebody, maybe one or two people who can attack the paint, who can get buckets regardless of how they get them. They don't have to rely on shooting. Um, it's like, so for so many, for so many seasons, especially with somebody like LeBron, where we've had this mentality where, oh, well, let's just, let's just, uh, you know, give the ball to somebody like LeBron and have everybody else be the shooters. Well, how about we have one or two shooters since that's the way of the game right now and have everybody else attack the, the basket. Let's do it opposite. I don't know. Like, um, something has to change for Portland. I still in the, in the feeling as, as if they do stick with, uh, the McCollum and, and uh, sorry, the CJ and Dame you know, two, two hot guard tandem a la Golden State. They got to get like a dominant power forward or small forward. So, you know, I'm not mad at Dame. Whatever his decision is, he's a grown-ass man. Um, and this is just basketball, okay? This is going to give you something to talk about. But, again, it really got no bearing on my day-to-day existence, okay? Again, it's going to be memories, but... You know what it is. It's just it's just basketball. All right, y'all. Let's move on. Uh, I'm going to talk about my midseason report for the MLB. Uh, one of the headlines that I got, we already have a trade. Uh, there's going to be probably the time where the trades start happening. Uh, I have one major one that I did want to talk about. This is the team that's pretty much selling at the deadline. Uh, they've come to a point where uh, this was supposed to be a good season for them, and I'm talking about the Cubs right now, but it hasn't really gone that way for them. And... Uh, they decided to make one of the first trades of the of the uh, trading period. <laughs> uh, the, the Cubs decided to trade Jock Peterson to the Braves for first base prospect Bryce Hall. And um, these this trade was needed particularly because uh, the Braves are missing out on Ronald Acuna for the rest of the season. He's torn his ACL. Now, for Peterson this year, he has a stat line of 271, 348, and 339, so not super great. And that is against left-handed pitching overall. Um, oh, well, oh, yeah, overall, he's at a uh, 230, 300, and 418. So, again, not his best year, but, again, they just need that production. They need the body there at that position. Uh, Atlanta is a game below 500 at 44, 45. Actually, uh, I think... Uh, it's not 45 right now, um, but they are they are behind in the in the uh, NLE standings by at least a couple games. Uh, they are also behind in the wild card standings as well. Uh, the Braves may trade for another outfielder, particularly near the end of the trade deadline, if that is if Jock Peterson you know just so happens to struggle. Uh, for what it's worth, um, Jock Peterson can perform well in the playoffs though. I mean, he hasn't had the greatest regular season right now, but in their World Series one, he was hitting a 9 uh 991 OPS. He had a 991 OPS um, in 37 
appearances in in the uh, in the playoff run. So again, he can hit, maybe just not as consistent. Now you know, like I said, with the Cubs, uh, they are they are well behind in the NL uh, Central standings, at least three or four games. Uh, they are also behind uh, Atlanta in the wild card standings as well. Uh, they would just win six of the last. They just won six of the last twenty-five games, and they have also had a ten-plus game losing streak uh, up until about this point. They've you know won a few games uh, since then, uh, but they could be dealing Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, and also Anthony Rizzo all of their core from their 2016, uh, 2016 championship run. Uh, by the end of the trade deadline. So look for that. Uh, it's pretty much a given. Yes, the Cubs are a, you know, are a seller at this time. And uh, like I said, they had really high expectations going into this season. They've kind of fallen apart. They are they are one of my teams to watch, but in a in a negative way. They they kind of they definitely missed expectations. Um, in terms of the oh yeah we had the All Star game real quick. Uh, let's talk about that. Uh, the AL won that five to two. Of course that means the AL host at least they have uh, the a the American League team has home field advantage in the World Series. In that game of course Vlad Guerrero did his thing like father like son. He had a two run home run. Uh, you also got. Xander Bogarts getting it done in there. He had two hits. He will bring in an RBI as well. Uh, Mike Zanino, the catcher for the Rays, he would have a solo home run as well. On the mound, Shiyoi Otani would do his thing. Uh, he would have, uh, he would have, a, you know, he would have a solid appearance. Liam Hendricks of the White Sox would get the save though. Uh, he would give up just two hits. He would have a strikeout as well. For the National League, uh, JT Real Muto, catcher for the Phillies, he would have a solo home run. D, uh, sorry, third base Manny Machado would have an RBI as well. And on the mound, uh, p uh, pitcher Corbin Burns, I want to say that's uh, Milwaukee. Uh, he would go for about a couple innings. He gave up a, he gave up a, he gave up a few hits, a couple earned runs. He had two strikes. Uh, again, all fun. It's the all-star game. Um, the winner of the home run derby was first baseman uh, Peter Alonzo. That's his second straight home run derby. Uh, he beat out Orioles first baseman Trey Mancini. Uh, this was his quote: "I feel like I'm the best one. I feel like I'm the best hitter in the game." Uh, he is one of them, <laughs> at least. Uh, uh, I would say he's definitely top ten, at least in terms of power and um, you know slugging percentage, probably home runs and stuff like that. He ain't hitting as much as Shea Otani this year, but. You know, I mean, he's a home run. He's a home run hitter. Uh, he, uh, Alonzo, uh, would hit 35 home runs in the first round. This is the highest in a single round, I believe, in the history of the uh, the home run derby. He did need 23 in the last round to defeat to defeat uh, Mancini. Uh, Alonzo is the third player in Major League history to win back to back uh, home run derbies. I believe this was. Um, Going back to like the 90s, I think like that. No, yeah, it was um, King Griffey Jr. He was one of the last uh, to win uh, multiple home run derbies. Uh, moving on. And like I said, Shea Otani uh, was the home run leader with 33 home runs. Uh, but uh, he was limited in the first round uh, by uh, the Nationals right fielder Juan Soto. And it took two tiebreakers. So, again, um, fun. It was a fun, exciting all-star period in my opinion that's one of my favorite home run derbies and i've seen a lot of them i've seen a lot of hitters in my day but peter alonzo he's right he is one of the best i ain't gonna lie to you he's one of the best shia yotani i was a little bit disappointed i, I actually had him as my favorite actually next to matt olsen because of course he's a he's an oakland a i'm always rooting for the a's to win everything but 
you know, you know how I feel. But anyways, um, like I said, we are at the midpoint of the season. So let's look at a couple teams. Um, you know, these are some teams that we need to look at um, just in terms of where they at in the season. Uh, first things first, on the positive side of things, we have the Giants. They are 67-32. and 32. They are first in the NL West. They have the best record in baseball. They are 30-13 and 13 at home, 27-19 and 19 away from home. Um, they ride multiple multiple game streaks. So uh, last week they had a four-game winning streak. They just know how to win. Uh, as a team, uh, this is what their stat line looks like. 245 batting average, 329 on-base percentage, 435 slugging. Uh, they are third in uh, team batting average and on-base percentage and first in team slugging. They also have, they are also first in OPS, which is on-base plus slugging, and that is 764. In terms of their pitching stats, they have 57 wins. That is first in the National League. Uh, they also, sorry. So that means, I'm sorry, the, <laughs> I said 67. Their record is, uh, sorry, the Giants record is 57 and 32, not 67. Take that back. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, they have a team RB, uh, sorry, ERA of 326, which is second in the NL. And they also have 33, 33 combined saves amongst their closers, which is first in the National League as well. Uh, they're second in total runs, uh, which is uh, 436, and they're first in the National League in home runs that they've uh, hit. That's 132. 39 of their 73, uh, sorry, 39 of their final 73 games will be against teams with winning records, though, and already in playoff contention. So this is either going to make them or break them. That's just the way it is. Catcher Buster Posey is on the mend and should be back on back soon. If not, he's, if he's not back now, he was dealing with a thumb contusion. Uh, but again, he was having a really comeback. He, he was having a comeback year of sorts. Uh, he was actually going to be going to the All Star game. But unfortunately, he had to get the injury bug and got replaced by uh, Real Muto of the of the Phillies. Uh, moving on, we have the Astros here. They are 58 and 39. They have a three-game lead in the AL West. Uh, like I said, four players were named to the All-Star game: uh, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Ryan Presley, and Michael Brantley. However, they will all opt out. Um, at uh, over, sorry. Over the course of seven seasons, they've won 565 games. This is 21 more than the New York Yankees. They've also won 36 playoff games, double that of any other American League team. Uh, star third baseman Alex Bregman and Justin, sorry, pitcher Justin Verlander haven't even played yet this uh, this season because they've been dealing with injuries. And this team is still projected to win 90, 95 games. So my question, like it was, like it's always been with this team, why did they ever feel the need to cheat? They were obviously always good. I don't get. I don't get it. I don't fucking get it. Anyways, um, we're gonna look at the Cardinals. This is a team that's actually underachieved. They missed expectations. Currently, they are forty nine and forty eight. They are third in the, in the NL Central. About um, to get this point, like the like the Cubs, about four or five games back. They've had they've had some wins recently. They do have a bright spot with their pitchers. Uh, we have Jack Flaherty here. He has an eight and one win loss record, a two ninety ERA. Seven of his eleven starts, he's held opponents to a one ninety six batting average, and he struck out forty batters in thirty three and a half innings before his injury uh, in May. Uh, he's been coming back from that injury. He's been solid. Uh, he's still working to come back from that, but again, a, a bright spot for them. They also got another bright spot in pitcher Alex Reyes. He has a one point five three ERA. He has two twenty saves, excuse me, while holding twenty saves while holding batters to a one fifty four batting average. 
Uh, however, you know, like I said, this team is struggling overall. Uh, their stat line looks like this. 230 batting average, 301 on-base percentage, and 379 slugging. Uh, their batting average is 13th uh, in the National League. Their on-base percentage is last at 15th, uh, and that slugging percentage is near the bottom at 11th. Uh, their OPS, again, oh, the pretty this is pretty like I said their offensive this is their offensive stat right there they rank 12th at a 681 um, let's move on we're gonna talk about some players to watch over the course of the second half of the season we got designated hitter slash starting pitcher Shia Otani of the Anna sorry I'm about to say Anaheim that's a long time ago Los Angeles Angels currently batting at the 279 364 on base 698 OPS that is first in the majors uh, he's uh, sorry 698 slugging percentage that is first in the majors he's actually second in OPS which is 1.062 and he has a 178 OPS plus he has six uh, sorry 65 runs on the year 70 RBIs which is first in the MLB as well and like I said 33 home runs in terms of his pitching uh, he has a really solid record here four and one win and loss record 87 strikeouts 3.3.49 ERA he has a 1.26 whip and he uh, gets about 11 strikeouts per nine innings. So, uh, in a given game, he's he's striking out 11 guys. That's that's good. Up next, we're gonna talk about Vlad Guerrero Jr., first baseman of the Blue Jays. Uh, his father played right field. Again, he's playing in the mid in the in the infield, but again. He hits just he hits good like his father. Uh, three thirty two RB. Uh, three, three, sorry, three thirty two batting average. That is the best in the league. Just like his on base percentage at four thirty. I believe he draws the second most walks in the league in uh, next to Max Muncy of the Dodgers as well. Um, don't hold me to that though. Uh, but he's up there on walks. I I I think he's. I definitely know he's up there. I don't know exactly where he places, but he's second in uh, slugging percentage at a six fifty eight, and he has he's first in OPS. Again, his office is on fire. 1.089 OPS. He has 68 runs on the year. I believe that leads the league. He has 28 home runs. And yes, first in RBIs with 75. Uh, we're also going to go back to the mound. We're going to take a look at Jacob DeGrom for the New York Mets. He's currently 7-2 on the year. Um, he's He has a 108 ERA, which is the first in the uh, which is the first, sorry, which is first in MLB. He also is first in whip. So uh, this is walks and hits per nine innings. So he's only given, he's not even getting up a hit or a walk per not for a whole game. He barely gives up a hit, not even one. Most games, he's not giving up a hit or a walk. That's what it is. That's baseball. He's given, he's only uh, given up a 126 batting average. I believe that's first in the league as well. Uh, before we wrap everything up, I did want to take a look at the draft. We did have that recently as well. We're going to take a look at a few teams, uh, and we're going to talk about some of their grades and some of their best picks of the draft uh, as well. Uh, a couple of teams that did uh, perform really well, uh, surprisingly, would be the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, they usually, well, they've been a struggling team as of lately in terms of their record, but they drafted, at least this year, they drafted pretty well. In the first round, they drafted Henry Davis out of Louisville. He had a set line of 370, 482, and 663 with 15 home runs last year for the Cardinals and also 10 stolen bases. Um, in the second round, they selected Anthony Solometo uh, from Bishop Eustis High School in New Jersey. Now, he has a, a career stat line. He only played a season. Uh, but he had four. He threw 462 pitches uh, in three, 32 innings. Excuse me. Uh, he would give up just five hits, one earned run. 
he would have five walks and 64 strikeouts. Not too bad for a high school kid. Of course, this is the MLB, and none of these guys are going to be right away playing in the majors day one, at least particularly the high school guys. Sometimes it may happen. In a lot of cases, uh, they'll be going to the minors for a while, then they'll be working their way up. The same like the NFL or the NBA. Well, more so the NFL, where if you get drafted, you're either going to play or you get on the practice squad or you get cut. The NBA, you can go to the G League and play for a team for a while, do your thing. And the MLB, you get to go to a minor league squad for a little while. And even even as a pro, you can go up and down between the, the minors and the, and, the, and the majors. It's just different. Uh, for the Texas Rangers, they also are given an A grade as well for their draft. In the first round, they went and got pitcher Jack Leader out of Vanderbilt. He had an 11-4 record last season. He had a 2.13 ERA with 179 strikeouts and 110 innings pitch. He led Vandy to the uh, the finals of the College World Series as well. Uh, they also selected Anthony Zovala in the second round uh, out of Oregon. Uh, his uh, stat line looked like this, 392 batting average, 525 on base, and 628 slugging percentage. He also had an OPS of 1.154 with nine home runs, 38 RBIs as well. Let's take a look at my teams close to me, the Bay teams, starting with the A's. They were ranked an A- minus by Bleacher Report. Uh, in the first round, they picked up shortstop Max Muncy, not to be confused with the L.A. Dodger Max Muncy at first base. He's out of the one that we got is from Thousand Oaks High School. Actually, we drafted Max Muncy as well back in the day. Um, in his year, in his last year in high school, he had a 321 batting average, a 424 on base, and a 428. Uh, slugging percentage with an 8.53 OPS. He he had nine hits, three RBIs, eight runs, and three doubles. In the second round, we picked up third baseman Zach Geloff out of Virginia. He led his team in hits with 81. Uh, he would have 50 runs as well that would lead Virginia, and he also led the team in doubles with 18. In the postseason, he batted a 391 that uh, 391 batting average with a two. Uh, he had a 391 batting average with two home runs. And all his and all eleven, and he had scored eleven runs as well. He has a career batting average of three sixteen. So the boy can hit. Uh, he can get on base. I like it. He could turn. He could turn a, a hit, a regular hit into a double. He hits when it's clutch time. I think the A's did pretty good as well. Uh, let's move on to the Giants. They got a B plus in the first round. Uh, they picked up pitcher Will Bednow. Uh twenty twenty one, um, and I think he came from Mississippi. Oof. I want to say Mississippi State. I feel like he's an SEC school. SEC school. Do not hold me to that. In 2021, uh, he had a 9-1 win and loss record. Uh, he had a 3.12 ERA, a 1.050 WHIP, 134 Ks. He had a strike. He struck out 13 and a half batters every nine innings, and he only walked two of them. What I said is, every game he strikes out at least 13 and a half batters, and he only walks two of them. That's that's a good pitcher, that's a good pitcher. Giants know how to get them. They can they can draft them, or they get them through free agency with Kevin Gosman. That's just what they do. That's just what the Giants do. Second round, they got pitcher Matt Mikulski out of Fordham University. I think that's in Virginia. I think nine nine and zero win and loss record last season for him. One point four five ERA. He would pitch in about sixty eight total innings. 
getting 124 strikeouts and a whip of 08.0820. Uh, overall, in his career, he had a 24-16 record with a 3.45 ERA. He would have 350 strikeouts with a 1.29 whip. Again, the Giants, they just know how to they just know how to pick him. You can't you can't really you can't really fault them. They just know what they're doing. Good job, Giants. I ain't mad at you. All right, y'all. We are gonna call it a wrap for today. If you're looking to get, if you're looking to get in touch with me, I'll be leaving my links available for you guys. Um, as far as the channel is concerned, I will be coming back. Of course, I want to get into. Oh, we have some new uh, laws regarding student athletes. I haven't got into this yet, uh, but they will be getting paid for all the things that they do. So we're gonna get into that. Uh, we also, I also want to get into what's going on in Haiti as well. Cuba is not the only not the only Caribbean nation with some drama. So I wanted to get into that. Uh, also, um, oh, Aaron Rodgers, he's still dealing with some drama. We got to get it, you know, we got to touch up on that. And as far as a YouTube is concerned, uh, I will be definitely working on, uh, well, I will be finishing up the eight worst Republican states. I wasn't feeling so well about a couple weeks ago. And like I said, I took a few extra days off just to kind of mentally get right. But I want to finish that project out for you, off for you guys uh, before the end of the weekend and I want to see how you guys uh, like it so uh, I'll be leaving my links available for you guys if anybody hasn't told you yet I love you peace out one love and I'll holler at you guys later